Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. As you saw, that was our Kids Camp highlight video. Uh, Kids Camp was last weekend, and as you could see, it was a ton of fun. We had a bunch of kids. Uh, but the most exciting thing that I want to share with you is we had multiple kids make decisions for Christ that weekend. And that, yes, that is why we do Kids Camp. Uh, and there's also one other thing that I'm super excited about, and I haven't told anybody yet, um, that at camp uh, there was a report that one uh, young girl uh, felt Jesus calling her to become a pastor. So, yeah, that's amazing and super exciting and um, just, just fills my heart, and I'm just so excited to be able to uh, be a part of Kids Camp and as well as uh, ministry here at Connecting Point. Uh, this morning, we are going to focus on uh, one word. It seems to uh, be the thing for me. Whenever I preach, there's always like one word that I focus on or one thing. Um, and this is no shock uh, to me that today we're going to be talking about love. And the reason why I say it's no shock to me is because it seems like whenever I'm teaching uh, in kids' worship or uh, in here with you all, is that there's always an underlying tone of love through everything that I preach. And I say it's no shock because isn't love the cure for everything? It really is. If you think when, it, when everything it boils down to it, love is the cure for everything. And so I want to focus on that today. Um, and it's kind of funny when um, I think of a lot of things when I'm preparing to preach and some things I include and some things I don't. Um, but the song uh, that John Lennon wrote, the Beatles sang uh, together, is All You Need Is Love. Yes, thank you. I was so hoping that that would go over well. <laughs> Woo! Otherwise, I would just look like a fool. <laughs> but you all, thank you. You guys, you guys are great. Uh, our, our text this morning that I want to dive into, and, and I have to prepare you, there's going to be a lot of scripture that I'm going to throw at you, and much of it is familiar, so I don't want to overload you, but there is so much that God's word says about love in many different ways, but um, the first text that we're going to look at is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I want to read it for you this morning. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Uh, Paul was writing to uh, the church in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, excuse me. Um, in this prayer, this, this scripture is a prayer that he was writing, and he's asking for the Thessalonians to increase and to overflow in love. Now, there's a word in uh, the scripture this morning uh, it, it, that in the NIV version, it's overflow. But as you look at different versions of God's word, um, overflow is replaced with, in many versions with the word abound. And that is a word uh, that it shows up throughout our, our morning, throughout the scripture this morning, abound, uh, to thrive, to flourish, to prosper. 
So may the Lord make your love increase and abound. Paul goes on further to pray that the Christians in Thessalonica would not only abound in love towards one another and to those around them, but they would walk in holiness. In other words, that they would live out their love. Because after all, if they were going to be true followers of Christ, if they were going to have true Christ-like love, then they should be living out that love, right? I mean, that's what we're called to do as followers of him. We're supposed to live out the love that he has given to us. When I was growing up, I spent quite a bit of time in, in my younger years with my grandparents. And uh, my grandma, Alger, um, was an old German uh, woman, and she was, uh, she meant business. She was no joking. She was very serious all the time. Uh, of course, she was, she was fun at times, but I just remember this, this like, hard, cold-faced woman, and she just meant business all the time. You didn't ever cross her, okay? Uh, and so when I was growing up, it was either you followed the rules or grandma got out the wooden spoon. So you're tracking with me, right? The old wooden spoon, yeah. Not the old rugged cross, the old wooden spoon. <laughs> so, but at the same time, you knew that grandma loved you. And most importantly, I knew that grandma loved Jesus. She was no, she, she was just straight up business all the time. I would always find my grandma in her room uh, right after breakfast, kneeling down at her bedside with her open Bible, praying scripture, reading her devotions, just focusing in, in on him every morning. Never missed a day. We went to church every Sunday morning every Sunday night, every Wednesday night for prayer meeting. When I was at grandma's house, that's what we did. I was with my grandma a lot on the weekends. And so that was very much a part of my weekend with grandma, church, Jesus. And if you ask me, my grandma growing up, she's gone in with Jesus now, uh, my grandma had reached the highest level that any Christian could ever reach, in my opinion. If you would have asked me back then, and she certainly most have, has now because she's sitting with Jesus in heaven. Uh, she was like the epitome of what a Christian should be like. She always questioned you on the decisions that you made, on your attitude. She would call you out in love, of course, and sometimes not in love. <laughs> Uh, when I was messing around, she'd be like, what's the matter with you? That was a phrase that she always said, what's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my grandma was the real deal. My grandma also, and I never really understood this, my grandma always, um, she had this guilty pleasure of watching the Golden Girls every Thursday night. And, then, and every, every day, it was like right after dinner, you would watch the news, you would watch Wheel of Fortune, and then on Thursday nights, it was the Golden Girls. And I love the Golden Girls. Like, the reason why I love the Golden Girls today is because I watched it with my grandma growing up. And as an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old, I, I learned <laughs> a little bit uh, watching the Golden Girls. I learned a lot watching the Golden Girls with my grandma. But there was always there's there was always this I was just torn at times because I'm like here's my my grandma my my loving my Jesus loving grandma and she was but then every Thursday we watched the Golden Girls and growing up I would learn about 
the lifestyle choices of Blanche Devereaux. <laughs> and I would be like, and a, a lot of it I didn't understand. Now I really understand. But looking back, I'm like, what in the world? Why, Grandma, were we watching, we watching the Golden Girls? Awkward, really awkward as, 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 a, as a preteen, you know. But again, my grandma had arrived in my eyes. Christian perfection was something uh, that I think my grandma strived for. And I'd always heard the word that we heard in our scripture this morning, uh, holiness. But I didn't really understand much of it. And I didn't understand how to achieve it. And I always had imagined a holy person, uh, like a Christian guru, if you will, um, that just did everything perfectly, almost could walk on water, or almost had this like halo glow above their head. And you know, thinking about that person, they probably uh, didn't watch rated R movies, or questionable content, or didn't listen to rock and roll, because with my grandma, I couldn't even listen to Amy Grant in my headphones, uh, because uh, she had gone secular at that point. My grandma was really strict, and I never really understood. I'm like, it's Amy Grant. Like, she's, like, I don't know. <laughs> but so holiness was not something, it was not established in my vocabulary or in my understanding. Well, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that there are actually a lot of Christ followers that haven't got a hold on this concept of holiness. And I don't know if it's a too big of a word, or I don't know if it's just, it's unattainable or unreachable, or just, I don't know. But it's something that we really need to gra grasp, get a hold of. Maybe for some of you, I don't know. Maybe it's something that you don't even want to mess with. But I want to talk a little bit more about that today. Paul talks about it a lot in his writings. In Ephesians 5, where he says that Jesus will present the church to himself as holy, without spot or blemish. And so in this prayer, what Paul is doing is praying that this becomes a reality. I think for any church leader, for any pastor, that is our heart. That the churches that we lead and the congregations and groups that we lead, the age levels that we lead, that's our prayer. That the church would grasp onto Christ, but Christ... And that they would kind of figure out this holy living. That it would become reality. But there's another step, a very, very, very important step. He says, Paul says, May the Lord make you increase and overflow in love, abound in love to one another and to all. So that, two words, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and our Father. So that, meaning not until, so that. Basically, you cannot become spotless and blameless unless the love of Christ abounds in you and is overflowing and flourishing and prospering and spilling out of you. So that. I want to draw your eyes or your attention to Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It reads, 
And this is my prayer. Again, very familiar. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I see that scripture took it a step further. Very familiar words, right? Sounded a lot like uh, 1 Thessalonians. But it took it a step further. To the glory and praise of God. Overflowing love. Discerning right from wrong. Being pure and blameless. All for his glory. So this morning you might be sitting there hearing me say these words. And you might be thinking to yourself. What exactly is holiness that he's talking about? Well, some say that holiness is the consistent living out of God's law, and they would be right. But might we say this morning that it's the consistent living out of God's love? The reality is is that God equals love, right? And if God has an instruction for us or a law for us, God's word, that they would be one and the same. Let's look at Romans chapter 13. Verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm to an, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And see, this scripture focuses on a neighbor. So who is your neighbor? And I'm not specifically talking about the person that lives on your left or your right or across the street from you. I'm talking about, and scripture's talking about, those that are around us. Anybody that you come into contact with. That's your neighbor. So think about it this way. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't get mad when somebody crosses you. Okay? Uh, I've heard a lot uh, in my ministry here at Connecting Point under the leadership of Pastor Doug that there is no room for offense when we're following Christ. We just can't, there's no room for it. We cannot be offended when others are living around us, we just, we, we can't get offended. and we, there's, no, there's no room for us to be offended. Um, I, I think of or the imagery of turning the other cheek. When somebody does you wrong, scripture talks about turning the other cheek. Basically just like letting it, letting it happen. Not getting offended, not uh, giving it back to them. <laughs> okay? So think about it with your actual neighbor. If your neighbor's dog comes over into your yard and does their business, you laugh, right? We're not going to get angry at that. Although we, we, we might get a little ticked off, right? But we don't get to the level of anger. And I talk about this a lot in kids' worship, that if we want our friends and those around us 
to know about Jesus, we have to do everything in our power to be exuding and showing and expressing and overflowing and abounding in the love of Christ. And so you know what? We're, we, as followers of Christ, we're going to get hurt. We're going to be betrayed. We're going to get smacked across the face. Hopefully not physically. <laughs> but there are going to be times where we feel like we are to get offended. Christ was offended, wasn't he? Yeah. But Christ is the epitome of love. Thank you, Esther. If we are to love and live like Jesus loved and lived, how does that shape our decisions and our behavior? In Matthew chapter 5, it says familiar phrases like, you are the salt of the earth, or you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are to be a seasoning to those around us. We are to have the aroma of Christ pouring out of us. We need to be doing everything that we can to attract people to him. So there's no room for offense. God gave us emotions, don't get me wrong. And I get ticked off from time to time and I have, I feel like I have more emotions than the average person. But I can't let those emotions shadow the love of Christ that's supposed to be coming through me. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The concept that we're talking about is not hard. And I didn't prepare today to come, you know, and, and chastise you or, or, you know, how dare you or look at the church, we've been doing it so wrong for so many years. I come to encourage you this morning and know that I'm preaching to myself this morning because a lot of times I let my emotions get the best of me. I thought a lot about driving when I was uh, preparing for today because I tend, um, I'm getting better, but I tend to use my horn more than I should and Abby gets mad at me because I tend to use my horn more than I should or... Uh, and I think I'm getting better at this, um, words come out of my mouth, not horrible words, but words come out of my mouth that my children should not really be learning, okay? Again, not horrible words. Please don't think that of me. But just not nice words or not nice attitudes, and I let those, those situations take over me. So I'm preaching to myself this morning, and I know we kind of joke about road rage, but it's a real thing, at least for me it is. So it's real and it's true for me this morning. And I mentioned that just about every Sunday, regardless of the topic that we're talking about in kids' worship, I pretty much end with we need to be doing everything that we can to be the love of Christ to those around us. And sometimes I say we need to be Jesus with skin on. And they don't really understand that. But I love that phrase or that imagery. We need to be Jesus with skin on. People need to see Jesus in and through us no matter what. So when they walk away from encountering us, they recognize that there's something different about us and they want to know more. 
And so we can be that more to them. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 40. And I love this because this is what the kids are learning downstairs. This very verse. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then in verse 40, it finishes with, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's God who works the love in us. But it's us who cultivates that love. It's us who allow that love to flourish, to abound, to prosper, and to overflow out of us. You see, God ordains the means and the ends to those means, but there's a part that we play as well. And here is where the rubber meets the road, because the only way to truly love your neighbor as yourself is to uh, take a really good look, hard look, long, honest look at ourselves. And recognize, now nobody knows your story better than you, right? Nobody knows my story better than me. He does. But it's in the times where I need to recognize my own story, where I've come, how far I've come, and I need to recognize the love and the grace that has been given to me in order to recognize those around us need that same love. And we can be conduit. We can be the avenue. We can be a vessel of love to those around us. But it's not until we look at ourselves and recognize how much we have blown it before we can realize or be compassionate towards those around us, recognizing that they were, were, are where we once were. Say that five times. The people around us, not knowing who Christ is, we were once there. And recognize where you are now and how far you've come. They deserve that as well. And so this morning... You may have not thought about this very much lately, but there are so many ways that we can be loved to those around us. The smallest, simplest thing, even as small as a smile or holding the door for somebody, is love. Letting your neighbor borrow a cup of sugar is love. Super simple things that take hardly any work just might be the thing that might lead that person to Christ. The love of God is what the world needs. Right? Yeah. So when you love your neighbor, you're loving God, right? For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty, I was naked, I was a stranger, I was sick, I was in prison. Whatever you did to the least of these, you have done to me. There was a phrase that came to mind, and I couldn't find a specific scripture that said these words, but these words came to me, so I included it. He who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven much loves much. And I was reminded of the story from Scripture in Luke, and I'm going to read it for you in just a moment. And it hits on this concept. I was hoping <laughs> that there was a Scripture that just said, and there might be, I just couldn't find it, <laughs> that he, was for who, he who is forgiven much loves much. And the story that I want to share for you with you is about um, when Jesus is anointed by the sinful woman. And if you're familiar at all, you might already know where I'm going with, or where I'm going. Um, but I want to read this, uh, read this story to you, because it hit home for me, and I hope that it hit, hits home for you. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt beside him, or behind him, at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and pouring perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, he thought, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. He thought that to himself. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I love that. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Then Jesus asked him, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of oil, of olive oil, to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. 
The more that our eyes are focused on Jesus, his walk, his talk, his actions, his example, the more we see just how sinful we really are. And how much and how often and how frequent we need the love of Jesus ourselves. Your love will grow. And the more it grows, the more it will cause you to live out your love. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to grow in holiness so that he would be able to present them blameless before God. If we want to grow in holiness so that we can say that we've achieved some spiritual benchmark or that maybe we've arrived, like I thought my grandma had, we've missed the whole point. It's not so much about us. It's about the Lord Jesus receiving the glory for the good and the love that he has bestowed upon us. He deserves the glory. I want to invite the band to come up. And as they come, I just want to close with this one thought. If you only take one thing home this morning, I want it to be this main point. If you want to be perfected in holiness, if we want to be perfected in holiness, we need to grow in our love for those around us. It's an ongoing, lifelong process. And the end result should be the glorification of Christ. By this, they will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. Would you stand with me this morning?